So we're going to continue our discussion today on sociology and talk about uh, God's society. Um, a really um, Christian uh, sociology starts with uh, God. It's a biblical term. Christian so- sociology is a biblical idea because we are talking about the institutions of the family, the church and government. And, and really, I mean, you, we, we're trying to do this in four weeks trying to talk about sociology in four weeks, and we could talk about it for four years and still not have enough time to discuss what's involved in God's society. If we talk about God's kingdom, what's involved in the rule of God over us, what's involved in what it's like to be part of and belong to, be, uh, to, belong to a church. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about, but we're only doing four weeks, and so we're trying to just lay a foundation with this in our lives so that we get on the same page as the congregation. The reason why we're laying foundation is because in our society in the West, in Australia, in Brisbane, we we have a a problem that our worldly society has been undermining and and destroying all the biblical foundations that we have. So what we're doing as a church is laying again those foundations in our lives so that we are all agreeing with Jesus and, and protecting the things that that God wants us to protect. So when we talk about uh, Christian uh, sociology, it begins with God. Jesus told us to pray in Matthew chapter 6.10. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as an end. And, and really he's saying, let your society, you pray this way, he says, pray that God's society, God's kingdom comes on the earth, just as it is in heaven, that it would come here on earth as well. So really Jesus is where it starts. God is where God's kingdom starts from. God makes us a new person or a new man or a new woman and he places us into a new society. And, and Paul says as much in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, his purpose was to create in himself one new man or one new person. So when Jesus saved us, he was actually looking at us and saying, I am going to create a new member of a new society. I, I'm going to create a new person for a new society. <clears throat> he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, so there's going to be no racial discrimination with regard to those who are involved in the society. So when God looks at us, he's not looking at us and saying, well, you're an African or you're an Australian or you're a Filipino or you're a, an English person. There are no definitions in terms of racial in God. God says they're all one. He says, no, no, slave or free. There's no, no status there. It's like, uh, I'm an employer and you're an employee, you know, so there's, is, God is going to make some sort of difference. No. In God's economy, in God's society, there is no difference between the slave or the free or between the employer or the employee. In God's economy, there's no male or female. He doesn't look at you and say, you've got the gender of a woman, therefore you are less than a man, or you've got the gender of a man, and therefore you are more superior. He looks at you and says, there's no male nor female in the body of Christ. He says, you're all one in Jesus Christ. That's, and that's a wonderful reality. In God's kingdom, in God's society, God makes us into new people, and he makes us into people who are all equal in him. It doesn't matter what nation we come from. It doesn't matter what status in society we come from. And it doesn't matter about our gender. He makes us all one. That's a fabulous truth, just to think about that. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, and I'll read these verses too. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens 
with God's people and members of God's household. He says, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophet, on the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. He says, in him the whole building is built together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. So what he's telling us there is this society is really a place where God lives. His society is where God inhabits his people. He lives with his people. So God's society is full of God. And we are God's society, therefore we are full of God. We are the dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. So when you came here this morning, when you sat in the pew, when we came to get, there was something mystical going on here, something absolutely fantastic going on here. When we're all out there, we we are part of God's universal body. But as soon as we come together in a location like this, we become a habitation for the spirit of God. We join together and Jesus comes and joins with us and he says, here I am with you. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's right here with us. And Peter says this of us, and you can say it all with me now because you memorized this last week. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, say it with us, 1 Peter 2 verse 9... I can't hear you. Say it louder. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's who you are. You're God's society. You've got special people. You're a holy nation. And that you're given a task to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, the Bible tells us that he commissioned the new society and he called this new society church and he called, told this church to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus said to them in, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, just as he was leaving, just before he was taken up before them, he says, then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. And so we, Paul says again that this was the intent of God at the very beginning. God exactly knew what he was doing when he was creating his society. He said his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. He says this was according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus the Lord. So Jesus had an eternal purpose in actually establishing the church so that the church could make known his praise and his wisdom. We, we go to Saturday night preaching. We were there at Saturday night preaching last night. And as we, we're standing there, without a doubt, every week somebody comes along who has been sent from the other side to lift up their voice to let us know that uh, the devil is not happy about what we're doing, actually declaring the wisdom of God and making his praise known. And without a doubt, every week someone is there, a troubled person is there who gets manipulated by Satan or by some demon to speak out and to yell it and to scream out and to want to hurt and to want to heal, kill the people who are preaching the word of God. It happens every Saturday night. It's someone different every Saturday night. I said to, to um, Heather, I think, uh, I mean, um, um, Cheryl, I said, I think it might live there. The demon might live in the place, you know, and then, you know, when the person comes in, is open to it, because it, it, it's saying the same things every week, but it's just from a different person. So we figured we might have to take authority over that one and let him know that we've come with the manifold wisdom of God to declare the praises of him in that place and that was God's eternal purpose and we've got to stand in and say, this is our place here, time for you to leave. 
Jesus wants Woodridge and we're going to take Woodridge for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to actually do that. We'll pray that. Hey? We'll pray that and ask the, uh, God to come up. We, we start, when they start yelling and screaming and so look they're going to get a bit violent, we start praying. I start in the van, I start praying. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over that thing now. Right now in Jesus' name, I command it to be silent. And within, within you know, two or three minutes quietness has come that lady last night sat and started crying did you see her start weeping didn't she she's just wept she it usually starts defiant angry rebellious and then when we start praying and binding it it breaks down and the human person comes out and she she's weeping and crying and she's just a broken lady you know just broken and we're able to minister to her i think you were ministering to her um yesterday so that was good you need to pray for us when we go out on the street it's on the front line that's where the devil lives, you know, he's working with those people, you know, and we want to see those people set free, don't we, in Jesus' name. I mean, that was his eternal purpose, that's what he wanted. He wanted the wisdom of God through the church to be made known to the uh, principalities and powers. Go to where the principalities and powers live and let it known. Let them know, amen? Okay, he established the church at Pentecost to reach out. He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, just so you understand what he was saying, he said, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And now Jerusalem was the hub. It was the center. And so when he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, he was actually talking about spreading out from Jerusalem, not about sitting in a nice little church in Jerusalem and getting a nice holy little church going in Jerusalem and where it was all sort of really great, making a perfect community in Jerusalem. No, he said, I want you out. He says, you're going to get the ability, you're going to get the power from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go out. You're going to go out from Jerusalem to Judea, which is just down the road. From Judea, then you're going to go to Samaria, which is even further out. And you know, you don't like those people in Samaria. Those people in Samaria are your enemies. Then you're going to go even further than Samaria. You're going to go to the Gentile world. He didn't say Gentile there, but he said the ends of the earth, and the ends of the earth is where the Gentiles live. That's you and I. We're at the ends of the earth. We're Gentiles. Some of us, I don't know, we're spiritual Jews, but we're physical Gentiles. That's what he was saying. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, that's when he began this work. So they, they were all told to go to Jerusalem, and they were all told to go to this upper room, and they stayed up the upper room, and they started to pray. And the day of Pentecost... Then this is what happened. All of them started to f- were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. And that other tongues there is other languages. They were speaking in other languages that were known, not just other, not just other tongues like tongues of angels. Or, these were tongues of men that people could understand as the Spirit enabled. And I never learned those languages. So it's like me standing up there starting to talk in African to you, like uh, Swahili or something. I've never learned Swahili, and I begin to speak to you in Swahili. You say, wow, that's a great ability. Who gave you that ability? It was the Holy Spirit, because I never learned it. That's exactly what happened. So here we have 120 people in the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they get uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they stand up, and they begin to speak in other languages. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews of every nation under heaven. So there was obviously a feast going on. The Feast of Pentecost was going on in Jerusalem. And people from all other nations, Jews from all the other nations around, had come to Jerusalem to the feast. And when this took off, 
Then they came around and they started there. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them speaking his own language. And so God was actually saying, I want to put it out there. I want to advertise what I'm doing. My intent is that my wisdom would be made known to all the nations. And so they were utterly amazed. They said, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? They knew that they had never learnt the language. And then it says, how is it that they can hear each of us in our own native language? And then it tells you the nations that were represented. It says Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So that was one move by the Holy Spirit, one move by God to get the message out to all the nations. That was his intent. He just got it out. Well, the church began to grow, reach out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter got up and he preached the gospel to them and said, you've got to flee from this generation that you're in. You've got to repent from your sins. You know, he told them all about Jesus dying and the crowd that had gathered around was around about 3,000 people, maybe more. And he said, they, he gave them an opportunity to repent and be baptized and those who accepted his message were baptized and there was about 3,000 that were added to that number that very day. So just imagine that. One day you've got 120 people in the, in the room the next day you've got 3,120 people in the room. That's what happened. Imagine that. It's a bit scary, isn't it? But they were all Jews. They were all Jews, all converts to Judaism. That was, and if you go through the book of Acts, you find that you know, God wasn't really happy about that, so he squashed the church. How did he do that? He called, caused persecution to come onto the church, and the church span off. It sped off into different places. Because he didn't want it to stay in one place and to become a holy huddle. He wanted us to get out and to take the gospel to all the nations. That's what he wanted us to do. And uh, as we go to Acts chapter 10, we, we find their first encounter with Gentiles, that is, in people who are not Jews. Now, God had to sort of work this out. He had a guy called Cornelius who was a Gentile man, who was a God-fearing man, who was a righteous man. And he was actually spending some time in prayer and he had given alms and, 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 and money to the poor. He spent some time in prayer and an angel came to him and said, you know, you've got to go and uh, take your mates and go to this place and, and find this man called Peter. Simon, whose surname is Peter. Find him and let him talk to you because he's want to tell you about the things. And so... Off he went to do that. And while Peter was actually living at this place, he's having a sleep. He's hungry. He's going to bed. He's going to have a sleep because it's not dinner time yet. He's going to sleep before dinner. And he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees all these animals that are um, not clean according to Jewish custom, like pigs and things, and coming down. And, and God says to him, eat, kill and eat these. Oh, no, I won't. That, they're unclean animals. I won't eat those. And God has to say three times to him, kill and eat. Don't call clean, unclean what I've called clean. He actually says to him, you've got to accept those who are unclean and call them clean. Now, he wasn't talking about food at that point in time. He's talking about the fact that the Gentiles, the pigs, the dogs, were going to have salvation. And he wanted Peter ready to preach to them. And so Peter gets the knock on the door and they, these guys come and say, look, Cornelius has told us to come and get you. 
we want to hear what God has to say to us because an angel came to Cornelius and told him, you've got something to tell us. So he goes to them um, and he goes to Cornelius' paces. You know, he comes into Cornelius' place. Cornelius gets down and sort of like worships them. He says, don't, don't worship me. I'm just a Jew. I'm just a, I'm a human being. So he gets him back up and then he preaches to him. Now, this is what he says. This is what Peter says. You know, there's a problem with Jews and anybody else who's not a Jew. They just don't like it. You know, there's a racial thing there. He said to him, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or to visit. This is the first time we've ever done this, says Peter. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And so he goes and he preaches to him exactly what Jesus has told. And as they were preaching, the, the Holy Spirit came on and they baptized him and they got the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just like the Jews had got. So obviously God was in this. God wanted to have the Gentiles in the church as well. The church is reached out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is saying, Whoa, I've got some more people and these are Gentile people. This is a house of prayer for all the nations. And he, he gathers them up and he gifts them the gifts. And the circumcised believers, who were Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They were amazed. They were thought, wow, look what's happened. God has made no distinguishing point between a person who's a Jew and a Gentile. He says they're all one. This society of God is going to be multicultural. The society of God is going to have lots of different nations in it. The society of God is not going to make any difference between the Jew and the Greek or the Jew and the Gentile. But the non-Christian um, Jews were still reluctant to involve themselves with the Gentiles and to accept the, the teaching of Paul. The church began to push out again. This time Paul had been converted. He had been Saul who had persecuted the church. Now he had been converted and now he was actually become a minister of the church, a missionary in the church. And the church had said, okay, Paul, you go ahead and take the gospel out to all the nations, take the gospel out to all the, all the Jews around all the different places. And so Paul and his missionary friends all went out there. And when they got to these places, they got to a, a, a place and the non-Christian Jews, that was the Jewish Jews, the Judaizers, the ones who believed in the law, didn't like what they were hearing Paul say. Paul was preaching Jesus. Paul was preaching a way that was different to the law. Paul was preaching that your righteousness came from Jesus by believing in Jesus and the work that Jesus did in the cross. He didn't preach that your righteousness came from the performance of law. He said your righteousness comes from Jesus and it's given to you. And they didn't like that at all. And so they started to get aggressive. They were reluctant to, uh, to, to accept uh, what he had to say and they started causing strife for him now he was preaching in this place um which corinth and he's preaching there in a synagogue and when the jews saw him becoming uh active in this place they were really angry and, and it says in acts chapter 18 verse 6 to 10 6 to 7 it says and when the jews opposed paul and became abusive he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them your blood be on your own heads i am clear of my responsible responsibility from now on i'll go to the gentiles and then paul left the synagogue so that was the jewish church he left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius, justice the worshiper of god now that church that was established at that particular point of time was a multicultural fellowship with a blend of all kinds of nations because Corinth was right there as a hub. It had all different nationalities in that place and it was quite a wicked place. So Paul had been preaching in the synagogue of Corinth. The Jews at Corinth didn't like the fact that the, the Gentiles were coming into the church so they just, and into the synagogue so they decided to cause such a problem. So Paul says, 
Don't worry. We're leaving here. We're going next door to Justice's place. And then they started the first church of Corinth at, Just, at, 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 um, at Justice's place. It was a multi-national church. The Bible tells us, or we read in history books, that the church grew rapidly, included both Jews and God-fearing pagans. Now, when we're talking about pagans here and the biblical understanding of pagans, we're not talking about people who are pagan in terms of their beliefs in the gods of Europe. And uh, the, the, that's, uh, that's a different term for pagan. We have that idea of pagan in the West now. Pagan back then was anybody who had any other beliefs other than Christ. So they were called pagans, unbelievers. So there was lots of different nationalities in this church. And when Paul left the, the city of Syria in AD 52, there was a large and vigorous, though volatile, church there. We find out how wild that is just by looking at the book of um, uh, looking at the book of uh, First Corinthians. This obviously fulfilled God's desire. Remember, Jesus spoke in Mark eleven seventeen, and he says, and he taught, "Isn't it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations?" So, what we're actually seeing happen is the fulfilment of Jesus' desire of the gospel reaching out to all kinds of people in all kinds of nations, and then those nations actually coming into one body. One church and being represented in one church. Beautiful. So we get some insights when we look at the book of Corinthians. And I want to go and look at the book of Corinthians with you today to look at the society of God. We get some insight into the problems and the dynamics and the diversity of the church, which is called the body of Christ. There is no other church like Corinth. Corinthian church is just just one problem after another. And as you go through uh, the problems, you'll see as you go through the book, uh, how many of you read the book of Corinthians from cover to cover? How many find it difficult to read because you don't know what's going on? Well, I, I hope that, that as you listen to the sermon today, you'll get a bit of a snapshot of what's actually going on in the book of Corinthians. So Paul started this work in, in the Corinth church. So it's full of all kinds of people. There's people from different nationalities with all their different beliefs, all come believing in Jesus, now living in this one church. Uh, having fellowship in this one church together. And so he, he hears problems. He hears it from two sources. He hears it from people from Chloe's household. So people who were going to the church, Chloe's household, came and visited him one day and said, you know, there's some problems down in Corinth. You know, you leave the church in Corinth and, you know, when you leave, all these problems started carrying on Paul. You know, we wish you were still there. But I'll, let, let me tell you about some of the problems. So the problems that were reported from the house of Cleo, and he says that, that Chloe, he says, not Cleo, Chloe, he says, this is what they were saying. There was factions or divisions in the church. Paul says, what's going on? He says, well, there's some people there who belong to this group of people and they were Apollos' friends and there's other people who belong to Peter's mates and they're saying, I'm for Peter and the other ones were saying, I'm for Apollos. And it's like having two brands of people in the church. It's like... It's almost saying like, well, these, these people are, they're supporting Jerome. They're Jerome's people. And these people are supporting Liz. They're Liz's people. And Mark has got his own group of people over here. And we've got three big divisions in the church. He says, That's what's happening in Corinth. He says, they've got people who are, who are fighting each other in the church because they're of different, they've just got different brands in the church. He says, no, they've forgotten that they're one. That was the first problem. The second problem, he says, you know that stuff that's happening in the church? You know, there's incest in the church. What's incest? It's sleeping in the family. 
a, a young man was sleeping with his stepmother. And the church knew about it and did nothing about it. They just let it go. They just turned a blind eye. Okay, we know that's going on there, but we're not. We're just ignoring it. That's incest in the church. Wow. See, Cor- Corinth was, had such a bad name. If you were considered to be a, a Corinthian, you were considered to be sexually immoral. It was so bad in that place. Why was it so bad? Well, they had a, a temple on the hill, and in the temple, a thousand prostitutes worked. And what were they doing there? They, they would offer their services for those in religious duty. That was their thing. That was a religious thing. Going to the brothel was a religious thing. And so that was Corinth. And so the church has now started there. So they've got sexual immorality in the church. Not only that, they had this fighting amongst other you know, Graham would come and do some work for me and I'd say, well, I'm not going to pay you, Graham. Thank you for doing the work, but I'm not going to pay you now. You can go and find your, find your money somewhere else. And Graham says, well, you know what? I'm going to go and get my, my daughter who's a lawyer, my daughter-in-law who's a lawyer, and I'm going to sue you now. I'm going to take you towards the Brisbane District Court and I'm going to sue you for the money that you owe me. And so what happened? That went on and on in the church. People in the church were, were taking matters up between the, the law courts and suing their brothers and sisters in the court. And that was a problem. Paul, they said to Paul, Paul, this is going on in the church. Individuals in the church are suing each other in the courts. Paul says, no. And that's not all. He says, what about the guys who go down to the brothels and then come to church on Sunday? They're not doing that, says Paul. That's like marrying yourself with a prostitute and then coming and being married to the Lord. You can't do that. Is they're doing it, Paul. They're doing it. They think that it's okay. They think they can go to the brothels on one day and then come to church the next day and everything's fine. Corinth was an incredible city. And the church had picked up all of the stuff that was going on in society and it had come into the church and that was now happening in the church. It's terrible. Terrible. Not only that, Paul got a letter from somebody else. He got a letter that was not Chloe. He got a letter from somebody else. And in that letter from somebody else, he said, you know, they've got, mar- they got problems with marriages. Like people, they, they're withholding sexual uh, sex in the marriage. They, they say, well, we, shouldn't, we should abstain from sex in marriage, you know, because that's very spiritual. Paul, they're not doing that, are they? In, in a situation that's so bad, they're not doing that, are they? Yeah, they're doing that. And then, it, like, Paul says, oh, look, I have to teach them about marriage and celibacy. So he had to write a whole chapter on that. And then he says, you know, they're going down to idols where, they, where they've got idols and they're eating the food that's sacrificed to idols. For some people, that's okay. But for other people, they're getting really offended about that, saying, how can you eat a food, some meat that's been offered to an idol? That's sort of idol worship because that's what the people who are pagan were doing. They were eating the meal that was part of their idol worshiping. And then you've got Christians eating the meals that are being offered up. And it's like, this is causing offense. And Paul says, oh, I have to teach them about that, about not, not causing others to stumble. And then there's women praying in church with their heads not covered. Well, that was a problem because some of the prostitutes from the temple had got saved. And they came down at a church. And, you know, the prostitutes, they had this long hair that used to swing around, you know. They'd look out their long locks and say, hi, guys. And the guys would see the... And all the godly women would have a, a veil on. They'd have their hair covered, you know. They would walk into church with their hair covered and you wouldn't see their hair. But when the prostitutes got saved and came into the church, now the prostitutes, they didn't wear head covering. They were Greeks and they 
flashed their hair around and boy did that cause problems in the church you've got the old lady who's a Greek saying an old lady who's a Jew saying oh that's so bad you know so bad look she's flirting with the pastor she's flirting with the, with the people because she's got her long hair showing and it caused such problems in the church but this church was so messed up this church was so messed up and yet it was God's church and yet it was God's little church but it had all these problems, so he had to teach them about how they had to have their hair covers because that was cultural divergence practicing happening in the church. One culture said it was okay, another culture said it wasn't okay, and it caused a big problem in the church because two cultures were coming and colliding in a church. And so he had to teach them how to live together in harmony. And then there was the problem of selfishness. He had to deal with this problem where they'd have a Lord's Supper, a fellowship luncheon. Just imagine it. Fellowship luncheon, we, we throw. Now, we're having fellowship luncheon here. We're going to cook a meal. Everything's there. It's everything's there. But some of you are working. You've got a day shift at, at um, Bunnings or something, and you, you can't come. You're going to come later. But when you come here, we're all drunk because we drank it all. And we're all well fed because we ate it all. And you come along to the fellowship lunch, you don't get anything to drink, and you don't get anything because it's all gone. It's all gone, it's all gone. We just ate it all and drank it all and there's nothing left. And Paul has to correct that. He says, you're not thinking about each other. You're not understanding that this feast that you're coming together is is different to this. The Lord's Supper is different to a meal that you should be having. He says you should be serving one another, paying respect to the body of Christ, understanding that. So there's lots and lots of problems in the church. They had problems in their spiritual gifts because they came from diverse spiritual backgrounds they came from places where you know one set of people in the church would in their spiritual practice drop under demon possession shake like crazy and then say crazy things out of their mouth as the spirit controlled them oh jesus is cursed jesus is cursed oh i don't know where that came from that's what was happening in the church they were dropping back into old pagan things and bringing those old pagan things into the church. And I thought, well, it must be the Spirit of God because I'm not doing it. It's happening to me. And then there was other people saying, no, that's not right. And so Paul's saying, oh, dear, I have to teach them now about what the body is made up like. And then he has to teach them about how to operate those gifts within the body. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, all about how to operate in the gifts of that God has given you in the body. Then there was people who came along and taught that there was that Jesus has already risen from the dead, or that sorry that the, the resurrection had already taken place, and there was wrong teaching about the resurrection. So he had to he had to teach them about the resurrection, and then he had to do some admin work about taking up an offering for the people in Jerusalem from the church. How to actually get that going? So the church in Corinth was just a messy church, but it was God's church, and Paul dealt with the problems in God's society. By doing three things. I want you to look at these three things today. The first thing is he he taught that there's only one culture. And that's the holy culture of heaven. And that we could have unity if we just hang on to the one culture. That all of our different cultures will say different things. But really there's only one culture. And that's the culture of holiness. We're a holy nation. The second thing he told us is that he talked about taught us about the dynamic and the work of the Spirit of God. That it's not individual so much as it is God who is working through his body. It's the one Spirit. 
Not a whole lot of different spirits. It's the one spirit working through his body. And then he taught us about the diversity that's in the body. As in, the body is different from one another. So the holiness of the heavenly culture, he says, he says there's only one culture. Ephesians chapter 4, 24 says, And you put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This deals with all the problem of immorality. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1, we're told, Since we have these promises, dear friend, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. When he talks about the dynamic and the work of the spirit, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greek or slaves nor free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7, and 11, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for common good. So God is actively in his church, working through his church, through the gifts, giving those gifts for common good for everybody. And it says, All these are the work of the one same Spirit he has given to each one, just as he determines. He's in control of those things. We're told too about the diversity of the body. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11, 18 and 25, the body is a unit that is made up of many parts and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. We're all different. God needs different people. we all got different parts in our body. I've got an ear, I've got a nose, I've got an eye, I've got a knee, I've got a toe, I've got a hand, I've got a foot. I've got hair, I've got eyelashes. They're all, I've got lungs, I've got a heart. It's all different. They all have a different function and they all work together. They all hold together. And he uses the physical body as an analogy of the spiritual body. He uses the physical body as an analogy of what it's like to be part of the church. Now, I don't know what you are in the church, what you consider, but I, I bags the armpit. <laughs> I think I'm an armpit, something like that. What are you? Are you a foot or are you a nose? Some of you might be eyes. Some of you can see doesn't matter what you are whatever you are god says that's all part of it it all fits together just exactly how it should fit together and he says there should be no division in the body but its parts should have equal concern for each other you are the body of christ now you are the body of christ and each one of you are a part of it isn't that amazing that god will pull us all together from different nationalities from why so that we could reach out Stretch out by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to reach out to those who need to know Jesus. Here is your memory verse for today. Not again, he says. (laughs) Yep, again. So I want you to say, because you are the body of Christ, Hebrews chapter 10, 24, 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and to good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. You got that? Let me hear you say that then. Okay, let's be here say it all together now. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, Consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Okay, now what I'm going to do is is I'm going to get you to stand up now because you can do this better if you stand up because your lungs fill up with air and you can 
bellow it out better. And Benaiah gets all excited about this because he's get all this. Already? Uh, Hebrews. Let me hear you. Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. What's he asking us to do? He says we have to consider. Okay, there it is. There's the word consider. We are removing the word consider. It's gone. Consider. What is to consider? It is to think about. You have to actually consider, think about how you can spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's not enough to just say, I wish they would get on and do the right thing and love God. You have to actually stop and say, how can I help them think about the things, the right things to do? Now, let me have a look at your faces when you are considering you're considering now buying a washing machine. What brand of washing machine would you get? That's the considering look. Let me see you consider. Look at me considering something. Let me have a thoughtful look. Look to your neighbor and, and look at your neighbor with a thoughtful expression on your face like you are considering something. Are you considering? Consider. Okay, right. When we go and say the word consider, I want you to put that considering face on, Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us, how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, interesting, he says you've got to consider how you can spur. Everybody say spur. Toward. Oh, okay. I'll get it right sooner or later. Slow down. Okay, let's uh, consider to use the word toward. Okay. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good words. It's some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, now it's asking you to spur. Spur is an interesting word because it means to provoke. It in the Greek means to hit with a stick or to poke with a stick. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and use your finger as a stick and poke them. That's it. Poke the person beside you. That's spurring. That's spurring. It's like, come on, let's get going. Spur one another. It's the same word that they use for getting the thing on the back of your heels and kicking into the back of the horse. You know when the horse is riding along, you spur the, and the horse jumps and goes further? We are asked to, that's enough spurring at the back there. Okay, settle down. I'll give you half a chance you want to belt somebody. <laughs> so we're going to spur one another on. <clears throat> okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up as some are in the habit of doing. All the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so you're asked to spur us on towards what? Love and good deeds. Now, the word love there is the word agapio. It's the word that means that you're meant to love people with choice. So, listen, I like you if you like me is not agapio. That's not agapio love. That's a phileo love. 
Agapio loves, I like you when you don't like me. That's the different kind of love. So that's the love it's talking about. It's talking about that unconditional love. It doesn't mean that I have to have your approval. You might hate me. You might say bad things to me, but I still got to love you. We've got to encourage each other to love with God's love. That's that love. We're to encourage one another onto God's love, that agapeo love. Okay? It's not phileo love, feeling warmth love. It's easy to love somebody who loves you, but it's quite different to love somebody who is not being nice to you. And to spur you on to good deeds. Good deeds is what makes you different from somebody who says, I believe and doesn't do anything about it. Good deeds is putting your faith into practice. So what Paul says, or the writer of the Hebrews says, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, he says, Let us consider how we may one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Okay, we're not to forget uh, meeting together as... He says, you know, when you're coming together, you're coming together, you're a body. Now, the word meeting together is not, oh, when I meet together with somebody at home. And it's not, oh, if I meet together with somebody in my home group. No, the word meeting together is a bigger word than meeting together. It's when the whole body comes together collectively. So the meeting together, it actually, if you go and have a look at the Greek, it says, when the whole body comes together. So it's talking about when we meet together on a Sunday, that's collectively the whole body gets. It says, don't stop coming together on Sunday when we all get together. Because that's the word, meeting together. It's a collective of the whole, not a house meeting. Not your house, you know, not, not your group, special prayer group. It's talking about your collective whole. That's what this, this passage particularly talks about, the collective whole. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us, how we may, on toward, and not... Oh, you're doing so well. You're doing so well. But we are to encourage one another. Was that in the habit of doing? So what, that does, what does that mean? If you're in the habit of doing that, what does it actually mean? Well, I'll tell you what that basically means. It says that you have a different set of priorities than what God has. So it, the idea of if you're in the habit of doing that, it says... For, for you, the meeting together is not as important as what it is for God. Because God says through the scripture that you're not to do it. And if you're habit of breaking that, then it says there's a difference in terms of priority. You're quite happy to say, we'll dismiss that and do this because the priority is there. And God is actually saying, that's the habit of doing that. Well, don't do that. So it's in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're getting near to the end. Matthew the Hebrews, testing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us, how we may, okay, and all the more 
as you see the day approaching. Like Jesus is coming back to all the more, all the more. Think about how you can provoke one another to love and good deeds. All the more, all the more. Stay connecting together and stay fellowshipping together. All the more, all the more. As you see the day approaching, keep doing it, keep doing it. Okay, off we go. Off we go. Hebrews chapter verse 24 and 25 says, Not forsaking. All right. So you can see, this is not, with younger people it's good, but with people my age, this is terrible. When you come to around about 34, you realize that your memory faculty is gone somewhere else. I could learn when I was 18, these like that, you know, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and 24 that we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together as some do, but, you know, on you go. So what I've done is I've actually printed off some cards for you again. And you can say thank you to me later. You can take these cards home with you. You want to give them out to each other? And then this is, did you remember last week's? You did, didn't you? Take them home, put them in your letter, in your, um, in your um, wallet, on your fridge. Wherever you like, just to remember that. Hi, good to see you. Yeah. All right, now you've got your card in your hand. I'd like you to draw your attention over here. The Bible says that you should hide the word of God in your heart, that you might not sin against it. In, in Psalm 119, verse 111, says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. It says in Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How shall a young person keep his way clean? By keeping it according to God's word. If you want to learn more scriptures, there's some scripture cards here. There's a, quite a number of them here. Just take them, take them home and start learning them. The way I learned scripture when I was a kid is I'd write the scripture... But Scripture reference down and then I write it out in full. Put my hand over it and write it out in full again. That's called rote learning. You can do that. You can learn it by singing a song like Thomas does. Thomas has written a song for the last one last week and he's probably going to write another song this week. He's got two songs. So he writes it and puts it to music and then he sings it all day. And he comes and he'll teach you the song and then you'll sing it all day too. And everybody loves that, don't they? So that's great. So because you are the church... Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Oh, cut it out. This is not King James. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pray now. Father, we just thank you that we are your body. We thank you that you dwell in us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the, the complexity and the diversity in the body of Christ. We thank you for the passion that you have for the souls of men, that you will go into every nation, into every tribe, into every culture and draw out people for yourself. We pray, O oh God, that you will help us to be 
a community of people that have one faith in you, Lord Jesus, that have one culture in you, Lord Jesus, that are led by your one spirit, Lord Jesus, that we would bring you praise and glory. We ask this in Jesus' blessed name. And everyone said, God bless you.